Hello and welcome to the NDA podcast. My name is Justin Pierce and I'm the editor. Today's podcast is one in our series called Masters of Media. We sit down and chat to the heads of media at brands to find out what exactly the role means today. And in a world where the media is fragmented in front of our eyes, how can a brand tell a consistent story across the media landscape? Today, I'm utterly thrilled to be joined by Tom Greenlees. He's Head of Digital Media and Influencer Strategy at Coca-Cola Europe. So, Tom, hi, and welcome to the NDA podcast. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk uh, about the role of head of media and what it means today. So I guess before we get into it, let's have a quick intro from you. Uh, Just us a bit about your background and how you got where you are and I guess what your, your day-to-day role entails. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So uh, my current role is I head up our digital media and influencer strategy for uh, Coca-Cola for our European markets. Um, we've recently been through a big restructure. So we were previously uh, business units of which we were 15 globally. And now we have nine operating units. And I head up our European operating unit looking at all of our internal capabilities with regard to digital media and then influencer strategy and activations across all of those markets. Um, how I got here is pretty, I'd say pretty part of the course for most people within advertising and marketing. I started off agency sides uh, and then got the opportunity to move client side when I uh, moved over to Red Bull about 10 years ago. I haven't really looked back, to be honest with you. Uh, stayed client side for most of my time. Um, I started up one media agency uh, with a few ex-colleagues, but for the most part, um, I've been client side ever since, really focusing on building uh, experiences for consumers. Fantastic. Now let's talk about, we're talking about the particular job title, the job role, head of media. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously the media landscape is is changing, <clears throat> sorry, at a furious pace, I mean, in front of our eyes continually. So how do you think the actual role itself has changed over the last five years or so? Um, well, it's interesting. I, I think media as itself was previously thought of as a pretty functional role. Um, creators would develop a message or a creative or a piece of media and then it was down to the media planning directors to find the best vessel to communicate that message to consumers the most effective and efficient way possible. I think you know particularly with the advent and expansion of digital channels as you mentioned that role has really changed to be much more take on much more business effectiveness and impact elements right so I think it's one reason why you've seen a massive increase in the number of chief media officer roles, uh, particularly over the last few years, you know, Airbnb being one that really kind of revolutionized the role and Spotify being another, um, you know, media directors or chief media officers now really have to look at not just, well, look beyond the functional aspects of the role and look at what what business impact and business effectiveness are they delivering um, through it? So, you know, whether that's coming to building tech stacks or whether it's establishing partnerships with publishers and third parties or developing measurement capabilities and skill sets, which traditionally media agencies might have thought that was in their remit. But I think more and more so you're seeing a lot of client side roles bringing that in-house. So I think, like I said, it's really moved from functionality to effectiveness. Okay, now... What always sort of fascinates me is, as you said, as I said, the speed of technical change in this industry is just crazy. It gets faster and faster every year, I think. So how do you keep up? How on earth do you keep up in your role? Uh, 
Well, I think it's pretty hard to keep up. I think an easy way of doing that is to surround myself with people who are a lot smarter than me, <laughs> which uh, which isn't necessarily a hard thing to do. Um, but it's something that, that I like to try and do as much as I can. And, and I'm fortunate enough to work in a company where we've got lots of smart people who are, you know, reading lots of different aspects. So it's I think it's, like I said, having a good community and people around you who can talk to you about it and share you know information with you but beyond that I do a lot of reading my own time um, because I don't think you can really cut the mustard within marketing and advertising anymore if it's not something you're supremely passionate about because you, you know you need to be on top of these things um, I, you know without going into I read this I read that blog or that publisher or, or that book I, I think it's just general reading across the board um, but also you know if you're looking at it from a from a job perspective the way I really prioritize what I need to learn about is looking at what are the consumer drivers what are the consumers engaging with that are really changing the way in which we need to engage with them and that make our communications more effective so I always start from the consumer and then go out from there that helps me keep my focus on the sharp end of the spear in terms of the technology and the the kind of SaaS solutions that are going to really empower me to do my job more effectively and more efficiently talk about technical changes but obviously human behavioral changes are also rapid nowadays and the last couple of years although i guess we're all quite bored of talking about it we've seen huge behavioral shifts on how consumers live their life and how they consume goods and services and uh, so what are those those shifts how endemic do you think they'll be and i guess the same question sort of how do you keep up with them with those those changing consumer behaviors uh, i mean it's, it's an interesting thing. I don't think you'll know the longevity of new consumer patterns until you start to see it imbued across their day to day lives. Right. So there'll be, you know, new tech fads or new things that they'll dip their toes into that but not, might not necessarily impact you directly or me impact impact me directly in terms of my brand plans or my advertising or marketing approaches. Um, but, you know, it's this idea of fragmentation, right, which is, you know, how do you make sure you're delivering the same old adage of the right message to the right person at the right time and i think the more you try and second guess the consumer about what they're doing or where they might be and how they might behave you'll you'll tie yourself up in knots for me when it comes to how do you manage that challenge i think you have to really embrace it because it's only going to continue to get more disparate you know this metaverse which is a wild west at the moment but i think is ultimately going to be the singular place where a lot of brands are driving those those day-to-day -day and one-to-one -one communications with their consumers and nfts in itself are going to potentially or they have the potential to be the singular gateway for the way consumers engage with brands in the future so i think the attitude that you have to embrace it you have to acknowledge the fact that you're not always going to get it right there are going to be moments where you get it wrong um but really you know if i'm looking inwardly about the message that i send to my team and how i approach it is you know do the planning up front make sure you do your due diligence in terms of analysis and data crunching because data can tell a huge amount of insight and give you the the starting gate as it were but but also making sure you have the right processes in place that you can learn and you can evolve from the moments that you get it wrong uh, and focus on being able to focus on the message, focus on building an experience that rewards engagement um, and, and people will find it, you know, build it and they will come. You mentioned the metaverse. I mean, the first question around that is, 
do you think it's overhyped in any way? I mean, I often sometimes think that it's kind of second life reborn or it's a repackaging of existing AR experiences and all that, this sort of thing. However, you see the massive investments being made across the board and it's obviously, it's not overhyped. So is the metaverse something that brands should be paying more attention to? Uh, I think at the moment, the only reason for a brand to get involved in the metaverse is if it complements their their purpose and the way they're currently engaging with the consumers, right? If it can add value to that relationship and and that approach, then and it, there's a reason to do it because there's a, a clear um, role for it to play within the kind of media ecosystem, then sure. But I think it's what you're seeing at the moment and what I think you'll continue to see um, is a lot of brands doing it and getting it wrong. Um, and not really understanding or doing it because they feel like they need to be in there because they're missing it, missing something out or they they have FOMO or whatever it is. And it's those brands that I think we can learn a lot from. Um, but but I think as a metaverse itself, you know, that is going to be the new digital playground for most brands. Um, and it's just about making, like I said, making sure you do it with a purpose and with a reason and not just doing it for the sake of doing it because you want a few more, you know, column inches in ad week. Yeah, good point. It's just the latest shiny digital thing. So let's yeah. talk about how how you you um, help tell a consistent story of Coca-Cola across all these different channels. You know, we talk about fragmentation and day mm-hmm. by day, more channels pop up on which your customers are interacting and behaving. So how do you tell a consistent story? Well, I think really that boils down to you know internal communication, planning, collaboration between our teams. Um, if I was to talk specifically about Coca-Cola, you know, we are a marketing business that sells drinks. You know, we're a beverage company that develops experiences for our consumers. So that involves obviously a lot of different channels across a lot of different brands at any one point. When you then start to lay in how do you deliver consistency, not just between channels, but between markets as well, you know, being aware that we are increasingly a much smaller European continent in terms of um, boundaries and and borders than ever before. Um, Social media gives an opportunity for you know, not just different people to come together from regions, but different countries to to connect across messages and content. So it's making sure that we as a team, firstly, from the planning stages are very clear with what do we want to achieve with this activation or this campaign or this message or experience, and then making sure we have a communication strategy that interprets that that core message in the most relevant way across those channels. Um, but But really, I think when you come to that consistency it's like i said it's about making sure internally we are very clear as a team about the messages that we want to convey and then finding a partner that can help us deliver those or translate those messages in the most effective way possible whilst maintaining that consistency and that consistency normally boils down to the purpose right so what is the purpose of that brand and if you are very clear about the purpose of the brand you can end up then creating very relevant messaging that hooks or cascades back up to that so tell me a bit more about the purpose, the purpose of the brand, and how how is that um, how does that sort of flex and change across different channels? Because obviously the the consumer you're reaching will have different behaviours and potentially be will be a different sort of person depending what what media they're having at that time. So how does the purpose flex and change? So the purpose doesn't change. The purpose will never change because if the if you need to change your purpose, then you could argue, is it really a purpose that is one coming from an authentic place? So I think from from a 
Look, as a Coca-Cola company, looking broadly, we have a very clear mission to refresh the world and make a difference, right? That is our company mission. And it's very clear, laid out in black and white on our website. What you then start to realize is that actually that purpose needs to then cascade down into over 150 different brands that we that we manage globally, right? And that we own globally as a company. So within that, you will have different brands that can fulfill different roles or different purposes that cascade back up into that mission, right? So if you look at brands like um, Fuse Tea, for example, we have a very strong sustainability message in this part of Fuse Tea. So all of the bottles are 100% PET and we recycle everything and we only work with fair trade and we only source from organic farmers and we work closely with communities. So there are very clear roles that Fuse Tea has as a brand purpose that, again, ladder back up into the company mission of making a difference. So it's about understanding what is the brand purpose in specifically for that brand that it can play? And then how do we use the that purpose to ultimately define our messages to drive the commercial aspects and business impact that we're looking for? Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned partners just, just before. So let's talk about the role of agencies and the role of agencies helping you do, do everything you're talking about, helping you deliver this consistent brand story across different channels. So... Again, look, I, I, speaking very specifically from a, a Coke perspective um, or, you know, even more broadly from a CPG perspective, um, agencies now in terms of our partners really need to understand consumers more so than ever before. I think, you know, we've touched on fragmentation of media channels. We've touched on different consumer behaviors, ever changing behaviors that are driven by technology. So our partners across the board, whether you're a creative partner, media partner, PR, whatever it may be, they really need to understand the, you know, what is effectively an ever-growing Gen Z and young adult marketplace. You know, Gen Z are going to fast dominate the marketplace in the next few years in terms of the overarching um, volume of uh, consumers who will be targeting. So it's about understanding, and we look for partners who really understand those nuances, really understand how consumers want to behave and engage with brands. Um, and understand the challenges in terms of building long-term loyalty with consumers, which consumers, you know, it used to be in the past, they'd, you know, buy Coke or Pepsi, or they'd buy, you know, Burberry or Mulberry or whatever it is. Now you'll get them flip-flopping across, depending as they curate their own lives, right? They're no longer looking to brands for curation. They want to take all this inspiration and do it themselves. Um, so, so it's, again, it's about understanding you know that it's about understanding how they can work with us to help us deliver effective experiences and messages to our consumers and being able to respond quickly you know this technology drives change quicker than we can all manage so you know again we've touched on it it's about having those partners who can understand those changes foresee the changes that are coming and proactively suggest opportunities to pilot or test or trial new things that they we believe are going to be important to consumers in the next few weeks months years how do you see when you're ex-agency yourself obviously but how do you see the relationship between between agency and client changing because obviously there's innumerable articles and conversations talk about this the role of the agency itself is is so different than it was even even five years ago and continues to morph and change so yeah. how, how is that changing of the actual agency structure and, I guess, purpose? How is that affecting the actual relationship between the agency and the client? How is that changing? Um, it's a good question. I, I think there's going to be obvious 
changes in terms of you know contracts and and you know roles and solutions and and what they can provide in terms of helping to deliver the either agency or partner solutions that we need but i think fundamentally they they haven't changed too much because it is always built on human connections and human relationships um i think that that part may and i think it, in my experience has become even more important to me anyway in terms of when i'm making decisions on which partners to work with or which agencies to onboard into our roster it, it comes from a point of do I get on with that person? Do I feel that person really understands me and my job and my role and what we are trying to achieve as a business and as a team? Um, and, you know, are they a nice person? <laughs> you know, ultimately, um, I think, you know, the role of agencies will will vary from business to business. You know, if you look at a business like Coca-Cola, we have very specific global network needs that only a few groups and agencies can provide to us without, you know, having a completely disparate you know, Wild West, where every market has their own relationships, that obviously wouldn't deliver any sort of economies of scale that we would look to from a global relationship. So we as a company have very specific needs that we need a global partner to fulfill that then can cascade down into local activations. But you'll see, you know, other brands, for example, who want to bring that all in-house and, and have that capability. So they need different types of relationships with their agencies. But But really, again, my experience is that they haven't changed too much purely because it's still humans and people managing those relationships. Okay, good to know. Uh, so you're talking about external partners, but let's talk a bit about internal partners and stats change all the time. There's a report that sort of marketing marketing budgets, 30% or so now is, is tech spend. You know, we're seeing the, the CIO and the CMO companies together and all these sort of macro trends. So how are your internal relationships uh, changing, I guess, to help you do a better job. I mean, <laughs> I'd love to know how I could do a better job every day, uh, and that's that's what I strive for. But uh, you know, I think in terms of how we look internally, it has really those relationships and the way and our processes and ways of working again have really been driven from the consumer and by the consumer and and wanting to develop a deeper understanding of that consumer. So I'll give you an example. We have a you know a platform services or internal tech team who in the past have been purely focused on um, software capabilities around measurement or around uh, report generation or about uh, volume and NARTD volumes and um, commercial aspects. Now, my my relationship is is discussing and the, my day to day discussions are always about how and what are the best ways to collect consumer data and then once we've got it how do we then interpret and democratize that data across the business so that we are putting and empowering our teams to make the most informed decisions right so it's it's really become less look back and more real time um so that we can make those adjustments optimize our our both investments but also our messages um, and, and like I said, the conversation has been has really shifted from um, we need to achieve this market share and this is the volumes we're currently at, although those are still vitally important to it's about, you know, what are the steps that we need to make to make those happen um, and make that um, make that impact in terms of market share that we're looking for. You mentioned, mentioned data, and I can't sort of not ask about the, the impending cookieopolis or the, whatever you want to call it. And so there's the, the big macro changes in data with third party going away. Um, I guess moving us from a 
world of tracking by default to privacy by default. You know, these are big changes. So what do these big changes mean for your role, especially in light of what you've just been saying about how you know, your internal relationships are changing? I mean, ultimately, we have to make sure we are creating even more rewarding experience that consumers want to come find and engage with us on on a regular basis, because it's through those repeat engagements where we are effectively creating a value exchange by asking them to give us their data in return for an experience that they feel benefits them or whether that be merchandise, whether that be tickets or experiences. Like I said, any one of those points, we we have a significant role in given our heritage and, and what we do as a brand and as a company. So like I said, it's really focused on building fewer, bigger, better experiences for our consumers across the year. So we start to create more of an always on platform or system of engagement with them. So it's less about peaks and troughs and more about maintaining a constant level of conversation and engagement with our consumers throughout the year. So when it comes to the point where we are asking them to give us their data, they understand why we're asking and what they're going to get in return. And if we can make it super clear every touch point where we're asking them to do that, then this kind of cookie-less privacy future that we are, uh, most advertisers are, you know, squeaky bum time about, it becomes even, it becomes, we can mitigate that risk. Right. Uh, and that's ultimately what the changes that you mentioned earlier on in terms of how consumers are changing in terms of how they engage with brands. It's ultimately driven by that. Um, and if we can, like I said, make sure we're focusing on the consumer and providing those experiences, then we'll get enough data in our armory, as it were, to deliver them on a constant basis. OK, makes a lot of sense. I guess also we're talking about this, we're talking about first party data and often the role of the publishers comes into this conversation because the publishers arguably have a, a, a stronger relationship with consumers than, than many brands, I guess could, could be an outlier there. But so mm-hmm. how, especially in your role as sort of head of digital media, how is your, your relationships with publishers changing? Um, well, I, I mean, it's, it's quite a good question, to be honest with you. Um, we don't necessarily have very many direct publisher relationships so we will have asset partners who we work with Um, so it could be football teams it could be football players it could be fashion houses it could be music labels um, who in their own rights are publishers Um, but we create these partnerships based on the areas that we believe are going to be the most relevant for us to play in when we talk to consumers right so it's looking at music as a passion point for gen z and teens it's looking at fashion as a passion point it's looking at gaming as a passion point or football and then developing an asset strategy that will give us the opportunity to deliver these experiences and create these experiences for our consumers so we don't you know when it comes to publishers again we it's less of a networked approach. So, you know, we no longer will we go to media agency and say, we want to target, you know, male 15 to 25 who like cars, right? Because we'll just end up on the daily mail and it just doesn't make sense. So it's, it's again, it's finding a, a concept for an experience and then identifying the right partners who can help us deliver the, the experience in the most valuable and rewarding way for, for consumers. Um, and that can often mean you know, just finding one media partner because we believe they have all of the properties that our consumers, A, engage with and B, 
are relevant for our brand and our message to play in. Okay, it's quite a nice segue into talking about influencers, I guess, because you, your role is head of digital media and influencer strategy. So let's talk a bit about that. How how does that role break down in, in terms of um, guest responsibilities and how the two link up? And they do, at first glance, seem two pretty massive, <laughs> massive separate roles brought together. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's generally come down from the fact of how we internally classify budget decisions. So as a... Uh, prior to, prior to me pitching and assuming this role, this role didn't exist within the company. Okay. So influence management was was uh, subjugated to a media operations role within the local market, mainly because uh, the the history of influencer activations have been fiscally based, right? So it is let's pay you a flat fee, you promote this message will then measure the impressions and eyeballs that we get in terms of, you know, the success of the campaign. When I was pitching for this role and proposing this role that we needed, it was to ultimately move away from that. So focus one very much more on long-term collaborations, on partnerships, on building long-term ambassadors and trying to start to, change the perception internally of influencers as a paid media uh, channel, right? And focusing much more on partnerships and building these partnerships. So the way my role kind of delineates, but also, I guess, complement both of those roles is an understanding of the roles that influencers play within the end-to-end framework for each campaign. Right. So if it's if we're looking for and again, that changes between, you know, some of our leader brands like Coke and Sprite or Fanta to some of our more, you know, challenger and explorer brands who are just emerging into industries. You know, there'll be different approaches that influencers can play across those journeys. So it's about understanding and me helping to define the role that they can play within the broader media um, or connection strategy for that campaign. And then I will really work with the media operations directors to deliver that strategy. So how's that journey been, I guess, in, in terms, especially in terms of changing internal views of what influencers and influencer marketing is? Uh, it's been a slow one, um, but it's, I haven't, people know it and they understand it. They just don't get it. Right. So they can regurgitate what they read on, on Adweek or, you know, in Digidays digi or in Wired or whatever about the rise of influencers and creators. And, you know, there's a lot of regurgitation that goes along. There's not a lot, or previously there wasn't a huge amount of understanding. So, you know, there's a massive desire and appetite within the company. Again, we are a company that is solely focused on the consumer in everything that we do. Um, they are absolutely at the center of every product that we decide to release or develop or every experience or every partner that we want to bring on board. So, um, so again, it, you know, the journey hasn't been tough. It's just about helping. The toughest part has been understanding what we've done before and articulating a path to get where we want to get to, given the fact that, you know, historically we hadn't had specific uh, budgets or whatever it may be specifically for influencers it was always as a part of a category budget it's you know the challenge is how do i demonstrate the the business impact of 
long-term investment into influencers versus the previous route of short-term deals. And so my, my job now is about rolling out experiences and, and pilots or projects this year and next year to demonstrate these the business impact that influencers can deliver. Um, and then with the role will hopefully evolve and, and continue to evolve as we get to do more exciting, bigger things. What, what's your what's your feeling, your hunch as to where the biggest business impacts will come and what we've seen in early sort of pilots and trials? From an influencer perspective solely? Yes, yeah. Um, it's a good question um, because there are so many different types of influencers out there and so many different levels. Anybody with a phone and an Instagram account can be a creator and influencer now. Um, so it's really, again, really understanding the role you want them to play within that and making sure you can build a genuine and authentic connection. And if you can do that, then you'll start to see real and meaningful impact. So, for example, if you there's been instances in the past where we've paid agencies tens of thousands of pounds to create digital online videos, right? Or digital content or social content. But when you look at it through a kind of EMV perspective, so earned media value perspective, you start to lose some of that return on investment the moment they are regurgitating agency created content because you're taking into account all the investment you've paid to get agencies to create that content. So by then investing that money into creators to develop that content, not only will it most likely be a lot cheaper to do it, it's also gonna be a lot more relevant and a lot more genuine and a lot more authentic. So the impact that you will get from that content will be much more keenly felt than the agency branded content that you know consumers are very savvy and they'll know what's branded content and what's original content. So. So, you know, that there in itself, if we have a very clear content strategy for how we create digital content using digital creators, it's going to provide a huge amount of efficiency in terms of our investment and our meet and our content budgets, for example. But then you look at other examples at a much more local level, you know, like, um, I don't know, if you look at specific uh, niche spaces like Mixology, right, we own Schweppes in the UK. Um, so Schweppes then it plays a very important role within a very niche industry so you can in theory work with you know tastemakers who maybe are micro nano influencers but you add a coupon or a commercial call to action onto that who have a very highly engaged follower base who are very specific to that niche you can start to drive very real and tangible um uh, I guess, commercial benefits through that. And then you extend that into point of sale as well. And you start to use their likeness and their imagery and their, their yeah, like I said, their, their face and their photos. Then you start to drive even more at the point of sale as well. And that then gives us added benefit with the customer in terms of giving us more shelf space uh, or more awareness or more, you know, whatever it is uh, in terms of, you know, footfall in the store. So it, it's again it's about going back and that goes to the point earlier about how do you ensure consistency across media channels it goes back to that making sure you do enough due diligence and planning up front and the kind of strategic elements so that when it comes to executing the executing is the easy bit and the fun bit if it gets to the point where you're really struggling about how do you execute it then you haven't done enough planning up front you know i went to i've been lucky enough i set up a business a few years ago with with john hegarty and 
John himself, uh, I've known since I was about five years old, and I was lucky enough to see him present a, a few times. And one of the best presentations he's ever done was one where he didn't say a word. He just showed pictures on the screen. And that's all he needed to do to get that message across. You know, so and that's because he did a huge amount of planning up front. So, you know, you just need to make sure that you are doing that due diligence up front and you are doing the assessment that all of these new technologies now provide and give us the tools to do so that then you can make the most relevant experience for consumers that will drive all of that benefit, whether it be data, commercial engagement, whatever it is that your metric is that you're looking to as a success marker. Excellent. I can't not ask, what were the images that John Haggerty was sharing and not talking? Oh, God, it was a long time ago now. He was talking about a Volkswagen campaign that um, that was uh, very famous in the 80s. He was talking about creativity and, and using uh, media as a vessel for creativity. Ultimately, John's belief is that, you know, media channels should help the creative sing. Uh, and if it doesn't help the creative sing, then it's not the right uh, vessel for that that message or that uh, or gateway into that experience lovely message oh, well, I guess I guess being Coco your scale your size your quality bar levels I guess you avoid the often sort of negative discussions around the influencer marketing industry uh, which is going all the time is that something that that bothers you ever at all or as I say you, you sit far above those worries when you say what give me an example of what you mean well the influences uh buying views or influences not being authentic featuring products products in their in their posts all that sort of thing there's there's again sort of endemic in the industry and always trying to deal with it but it's all still hanging around yeah again look it's a good question i think when we've been both victims and guilty of it in the past, you know, in terms of releasing a new product, asking some celebrities to promote that product by holding the picture up on their live stream. And then all the feedback that they get is why are you promoting single use plastic? Right. You know, that we've, we've been guilty of it and we've been victims of it and we're learning from it. I think, again, it goes back to making sure we do the due diligence on our side. And there are a lot of software solutions and tools that can help you determine what is really the true influence of creators and influencers and social uh, entrepreneurs as it were um, and and making sure you you use the tools that are out there assessing who has real people following assessing their engagement um, but but really if you can the first step is do they align with our company values our principles uh, our mission of diversity inclusion sustainability um, and as long as you can as long as you are working with people who really represent, truly represent and can live your brand on a daily basis, then you generally won't go too far wrong. Um, it's it's when you, like I said, it's when you find an influencer or choose to work with an influencer purely because of the size of their network um, that you will generally find yourself in trouble. Sense. Well, Tom, fantastic. We're coming to the end, so I just want to ask you one last question, which is you've got an enviable position, I guess, to see the whole of the digital industry, all these sort of tools and techniques at your disposal. So what are you most excited about at the moment for the rest of this year? We talked about the metaverse, we talked about influencers, we talked about most things digital. So is there any one technology or medium or thing in the digital universe coming up that you're most excited about? Um, I'm actually really excited this year to see the development in the augmented reality, which to me is kind of the, the 
the step that most brands will take before they dive straight into the metaverse. I think what you're seeing now is a lot of more exciting augmented experiences, particularly around, um, you know, match day or sports or event experiences. And particularly in terms of uh, brands when they are creating a layer of experiential layer around specific um you know, in real life geographical location. So I, I'm personally really excited about the opportunities that augmented reality provides. I think the metaverse itself is a really interesting one. I don't think we as a company are, are quite ready to, to go into that space yet, although I don't think it will be long. Um, but like I said, I, I think technology itself is, is fascinating. I think, you know, Moore's law itself has almost become irrelevant because the, the speed has become so quick. But um, But I think for me, like I said, Really excited to see the kind of augmented reality aspects and the developments in that this year. Well, Tom, fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. That was an absolutely fascinating chat. So thank you so much again. Thanks so much for having me, Justin. Have a great day. And thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.